all these same loving, intimate, emotional attachment to, um, but then we're also supposed to layer on lust and desire and sexual attraction to that person. So it's really hard for us to reconcile that um, because they're they're our family, right? But you don't want to you don't want to have sex with your family, right? That's the whole um, kind of psychological um, yeah. uh, juxtaposition that kind of happens, right? So um, so one of the ways that I and one of the things that's encouraged, I suppose, uh, especially in couples therapy as well, is creating some separation, right? So creating some uh, a little bit of distance, right? There's a, there's a lot. Hello, dear friends. Welcome to Upgradable Podcast, home base for adventurous souls who are learning to master the art of graceful living. Here we are diving deep on what does it truly mean to be a human and how to build graceful, healthy, juicy relationships with self and every aspect of your life. My name is Anna and I'm founder of Upgradable. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you inspiring stories, self-mastery tools and transformation techniques, all that to help you experience your own breakthroughs, fall in love with self and your life and expand your capacity to receive abundance and pleasure. It's time to remember who you truly are. Amazing, amazing. Amazing. So, guys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to have this amazing man here. I was following his work for for some time. Come, he is a certified sexologist, um, uh, and as well, he is a yoga teacher. He's tantric practitioner, and he has created a program for uh, men how to bring their sex life to the next level. But I love your work a lot as well because you're talking a lot about the relationships and redefining uh, relationships, uh, redefining monogamy. And uh, I would like to start with uh, this one. So it feels like in today's world there are so many unhealthy attitudes towards relationships, towards monogamous, towards committed relationships. And it feels like uh, men, they uh, have a big turn off towards commitment, while women, they want this commitment and they, there are lots of discussion between uh, women that they can't trust men. So what is uh, your view on that? Why do you believe that for many people, relationship is a big turn off? What is not working in this area? Mm, mm, what a question, hey? Um... Well, I don't know if I necessarily believe that relationships is a, it, it, it's a big turnoff for a lot of people. And, and I guess speaking like for men as well, I don't necessarily think that men are turned off by relationships. I think there's a lot of fear that men have about entering into relationships. I don't think that they, I don't, think that they don't want a relationship. I think that they, a lot of men yearn for connection, yearn for emotional intimacy, yearn for some type of deeper commitment to another person um, or person's. Uh, but um, I think there's a lot of stigma and fear um, with regards to men and entering into those longer-term relationships. There's um, there's a lot of messages that men get, particularly with regards to emotional intimacy, that they shouldn't really be uh, emotionally intimate. They shouldn't really be interested in long-term relationships. You know, it's kind of the messages from society tell men that they need to be, you know, um, sexually hyperactive and they need to be um you know uh, disinterested in emotional connection and they're only interested in physical connection you know there's just quite a lot, a lot of reinforcement of these messages in our media and in um and in pop culture and in and in the people that we that we talk to because they're kind of um inculcated with this messages as well so i definitely don't think that there's um i don't think that there's this you know, desire not to be in a relationship. I think a lot of men particularly do want to enter into those relationships, but um, the kind of the, I guess the, um, the dynamic that ends up playing out is that um, these guys enter into a, a relationship and I speak very generally here, but they'll enter into a relationship and, and because they're coming in with all these preconceived messages and notions about what it means to be in a monogamous relationship, they have this fear of committing deeply or surrendering deeply into another person and, and there's a lot of fear in that right there's a lot of fear in 
in showing your deepest insecurities and vulnerabilities um, and your potential quote unquote flaws to another person, right? There's a really deep seated fear of rejection, um, particularly for guys. Um, and I know this, that's across the board, but um, for men in general, uh, there's, there's this really strong fear of rejection. And, and so opening up into a deep committed relationship, you know, we talk about monogamy in this sense, I suppose, this deep sacred monogamous relationship. There's a lot of fear there for, for guys, particularly to open up to someone else and to let them see what's going on for them um, deep down. So, um, and a, a teacher of mine, David Data, talks about this as, as this, um, this dynamic that plays out between the unhealthy masculine and the unhealthy feminine. Um, so taking a heterosexual example, um, where the man plays the masculine role and the woman plays the feminine role. The, the masculine, in a unhealthy way, the man in that relationship, he'll, um, and typically we see this playing out in like young couples um, that maybe are new to long-term relationships. You, you'll see the young guy um, think that, you know, he's looking for, um, looking for freedom and this is what the masculine kind of seeks, this masculine energy seeking freedom. Um, and the... The, the idea that young men particularly have about what freedom means for them is the freedom of um, casual sex, right? The freedom of um, playing the field, the freedom of being the bachelor, right? This is a, this is a very naive and, and, and some would say immature. I don't know if that's the right word or unhealthy, whatever it is, but this is that one concept of what freedom could mean to someone. And, um, and when this young man particularly enters into a relationship, uh, the, um, the way that plays out then is that he doesn't fully commit himself or f- fully open himself up into that monogamous relationship because he's still holding on to this idea of freedom being external, freedom being outside of that and, and being in uh, sleeping with as many people or as many women as possible or whatever that looks like for him. When a reframe of that and a maybe uh, some would say a more healthy conceptualization of that freedom is the freedom to truly be himself in that relationship to truly open himself up. So there's a lot of freedom in surrendering, right? There's a lot of freedom in deeply committing to another person and letting all of those fears and vulnerabilities bubble up to the surface and and being held by another person and and being witnessed in those vulnerabilities and those fears. I think it was Jim Morrison that said that, uh, you know, the deepest fear that we have is the freedom to be ourselves. You know, this, um, this freedom to express ourselves is, intimately as possible and and open up those deep wounds that we might have and show them to another person there's a whole whole host of fear that comes along with that whole host of anxiety that comes along with that so i think this is like the i think this is maybe is what's stopping a lot of guys from from fully deeply committing to a relationship to committing to a to a woman right or or another guy if that's um their persuasion the 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 fear of showing what's what's going on for them underneath, right? They're, there's they're so um, so easy for men to put on a mask, um, and it's kind of encouraged as well by society, by by um, by the things around us for for men to not really show that to kind of put on a, a quote unquote brave face, um, and and to look for for freedom elsewhere rather than looking for freedom in that deep deep commitment. So um, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think that's kind of answered your question, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it's uh, from this freedom that men are thinking about what is really freedom. And uh, yeah, I totally are with you on this side about this opening your vulnerable parts. But well, like if if somebody is coming to you with this uh, for coaching, how you would advise men just to start opening up to his vulnerable parts? You know, like, is it starting with uh, meeting yourself at a deeper level and then uh, bringing it into the relationship? Where to start then? Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is something that pops up a lot in my work um, with guys. And, and a framework that I use for this is um, I call it a, a sacred relationship framework. And and for me, that there's there's really three primary relationships that we have in this in this world and the way that we whether we interact with everything in this world can be broken into one of these three relationships and that they're kind of chronological in a sense um in, in that but they all influence one another and the first relationship that we that we have and that needs to be 
uh, revered and, and deep respect needs to be brought into, some would say some sacredness to be, needs to be brought into it, is the relationship with the self, you know, relationship with the body, with, um, with our own sexuality, with our own identity, uh, with, uh, with our mental health, with our emotions. So just developing this strong awareness, uh, cultivating a connection, a conversation with, with ourself. Um, and so this is like, uh, this then leads on to a, a relationship with something that's greater than yourself. So you know, this could be your relationship with community, could be your, your relationship with many people. That's a relationship with God, a relationship with spirits, with source. Um, maybe it could be a relationship with the planets, with, um, with Gaia, with Mother Nature, whatever that might look like for you. And then that leads on to a relationship with another person. So whether it's a lover or a partner or a, business partner or a friend or a family member. Um, and so this is like the, I, I kind of use that as a progression, but there's this like triangular model, I suppose, and they all influence one another. And so the way that I help men particularly get in touch with that um, deeper vulnerability and, and, and feel comfortable expressing it is to first, um, is to first feel comfortable noticing it and becoming aware of it, I suppose, before they even start expressing it to anyone, they've got to acknowledge that, there might be something there, you know, um, there might be something going on for them. And a lot of people, a lot of men have different contexts and maybe different stories and they use different language to describe what's going on for them. But when, and when I've done men's groups, particularly, you know, there's an underlying, there's an underlying experience and then there's underlying um, sensations and, and emotions that, you know, it doesn't matter what the language is that you use for it. There's still that raw experience that many guys share. And so that's what I try and get these men to tap into first is just acknowledging that there's something, you know, underlying that, that context, underlying that language and that narrative. There's something there that they feel. Um, and so this is creating, I guess, in a sense, that relationship with themselves, relating to their experience in the world, relating to um, – Related to their their emotions that are feeling, you know, their, their their physical body, right? Their proprioception. Where where are they holding tightness and tension in their body? Just developing an understanding of um, their relationships with themselves, and um, and this is kind of that first step that um, then leads into eventually expressing those vulnerabilities and maybe expressing a little bit of that deeper emotion to their partner or to someone um, really special in their lives. So yeah, it all starts with the self for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing because it's uh, what I'm doing with myself a lot, and I teach people is about how to reconnect to this, uh, with yourself. And sometimes uh, we just keep on working <laughs> on this planet, holding and stockpiling all this kind of uh, emotions and processed emotions. And for many people, what I notice is just very uncomfortable to to be with yourself, you know just to meet yourself at a deeper level and to see what is going on because something you're carrying from the time you have a child and most of the people, they just distract themselves from seeing these emotions despite inside of themselves, which require this attention most of the time is just to be with whatever arises inside of your body. Mm, mm, yeah, there's a lot of value, I think, in in spending time alone and um, in spending time with your own thoughts and with your own emotions and, and sitting with them there's um, yeah, there's a, uh, I've got a, I guess a history of meditation and a history of Vipassana and um, kind of silent observing noble silence from the Buddhist tradition. And that, that, that was a big catalyst for me and, and understanding my own, I guess, processes and, and whatever else was going on for me. It was just, allowing those things to come up. And, and what I found personally was there was a lot of, um, I guess you would say, there was a lot of violent, aggressive, angry thoughts that were coming through, you know, when I, when I sat in meditation for, for a long time. And, and it wasn't until I started talking about these things with other men that had done similar, similar experiences or similar activities and practices that this is, you know, I found out this was a really common thing for, for things to come up for men was, was this anger and this this frustration and these violent thoughts that come through and um and it's because we um well I guess uh, again again this is a personal kind of observation is we'll kind of try and repress those things as much as possible. There's um you know, there's there's no outlet for for anger. There's no outlet for uh, aggression. There's no outlet for 
for violence in a sense. Um, there's, um, yeah, so it kind of gets pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. And, and you're like, we, we kind of stockpile, right? We hold on to it and there's no release of, there's no release for it um, in a healthy way. Uh, and because a lot of men, they don't actively try and express themselves unhealthily. You know, it's not something they're going out and saying, today I'm going to be really unhealthy and be really angry and really violent. They try and hold on to that and they don't want that to, to spill over. Um, but because we don't really have an outlet for it anywhere else, we just kind of hold on to it. It bottles up and bottles up and then eventually overflows, right, and spills out in a way that is really unhelpful or, or unhealthy. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing. It's just is meditating um, on what's going on for you, right? And in your body, again, this comes back to developing that, that awareness. So spending time with your own thoughts, spending time with your own, um, with your own emotions and, and processes I think is very, very valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Yes. Uh, and um, if we go to these uh, unhealthy dynamics, um, not maybe unhealthy dynamics, but what I'm noticing a lot is just there are two parts that we are craving for. We are craving for connection. Uh, we are craving for love in relationship. We are craving for intimacy. And another part of ours is craving for desires. I think maybe it's especially from the men's side. And it feels like eventually in relationships, this desire, it just goes away, right? And uh, even I think it's um, Esther Perel who is talking a lot that intimacy just killing the desire in the relationship. So how do you believe we can restore this uh, healthy balance between love and connection and desires in the relationship? in the long run yeah 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 there's a um it's a really interesting phenomenon that happens in like long-term couples that really love each other and really have strong relationships you know committed uh intimate relationships is that they for some reason lose the lust and desire and sexual attraction for one another and this is um you know a couples therapy we see it all the time and 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 one of the kind of theories and Perel talks about this quite a lot and it's really really she does a really really good job about this i think she um uses the analogy of like butting heads, right? These two conflicting things that butt heads. Um, and, and what happens is, you know, one of the, one of the kind of theories is because we, because we love, you know, we love this person so deeply and we're so committed and connected to them, we, we share a lot of emotional attachment and intimacy with them. They're, they're family to us, right? The, the only other people in the world that we, um, we have those type of attachments to and that have those type of connections with is the rest of our immediate family, right? So maybe our parents, maybe our siblings, maybe our children, but we don't necessarily desire and lust after those people, right? But then all of a sudden we've got this extra person, our partner, our spouse, our lover, right? Quote, unquote, our, who's supposed to be our lover, but we have all these same loving, intimate, emotional attachment to um but then we're also supposed to layer on lust and desire and sexual attraction to that person. So it's really hard for us to reconcile that um, because they're, they're our family, right? But you don't want to, you don't want to have sex with your family, right? That's the whole um, kind of psychological um, yeah. uh, juxtaposition that kind of happens, right? So, um, so one of the ways that I, and one of the things that's encouraged, I suppose, uh, especially in couples therapy as well is creating some separation, right? So creating some, uh, a little bit of distance, right? There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of truth, uh, and I love cliched sayings. I always I always you know um, say this, but there's a lot of, a lot of value in cliched sayings, and and one of the really important ones is um, if distance makes the heart grow fonder, and and this is so true when it comes to creating that sexual spark or creating that sexual chemistry again, that sexual attraction is creating a little bit of separation between you and your partner. Um, the uh this could look like um you know spending time by yourself you know we, we talk about um just before you know spending some time alone to to connect with your own thoughts to connect with your own body this can be a really powerful way as well of creating that separation so creating some time for yourself while your partner creates time for themselves to do an activity or a hobby or a, or, or a practice or whatever it is that they want to do and, and you want to do for yourself um so it's a really good way to start um because that that separation then um, creates a bit of a spark when you come back together. And, and this is talked about 
by uh, David Data again talks about polarity. So creating a bit of a um, so thinking of a think of a magnet, I suppose, and when you wanted to create these two ends of a magnet that start to um, start to attract again. Um, and you can mm-hmm. think of this as a the two polar opposites of the masculine and feminine. So to take that heterosexual example again, the you know the man stepping into his masculine energy, doing something that builds his masculine energy. The feminine, uh, the woman in that relationship, doing something to to um, stoke her feminine energy to build and cultivate that feminine energy. So again, we see um, this idea of polarity is very similar to this idea of separation. So um, this is something that um, I encourage the the guys that I work with to do is to find something that's just for them and to um, and to make that something that is important to them as well. So um, and and I usually try and make it something that's physical as well. It gets their gets their blood pumping, gets their um, gets their body moving, connects them to themselves um, and takes them kind of um, away from their partner so it's just for them. And then once they start to build that healthy physical relationship with themselves again, they come back to their partner, it creates a little bit more of a spark, a bit more of a, of a connection there um, rather than spending, spending every minute of every um, day just connected to your partner's hip. Um, what happens then is become you become best friends, right? You, which is which is amazing, but you don't necessarily become lovers, and um, and so we can use this masculine feminine dynamic again to to talk about this. So if you've got two two people in a in a heterosexual couple, you know the man and the woman both feeling comfortable in their masculine energy, both doing really masculine things, maybe working on their jobs together, working on their careers, or doing something really physical together, then they become like two guys hanging out, right? Two mates that are just hanging out, um, you know, two bros. But if you've got, um, you know, these two, this couple, two people in this couple really sitting into their feminine energy together, they, um, they, uh, you know, sharing their emotional intimacy, they're, they're really intimate and affectionate, but maybe not really sexual with one another, they become like two, um, two girlfriends, right? Two, two women hanging out together. Um, and then that creates a, that type of friendship, that type of dynamic. But in neither one of those scenarios is there a is there a sexual spark or a sexual chemistry, a sexual connection there, um, because there's there's too much familiarity in a sense, and there's not enough connection. Uh, there's not enough, sorry, um, separation for that sexual spark to to kind of come about. So um, yeah, that's what I would to answer your question. That that that's what I would kind of suggest is to build a little bit of that separation into that relationship. Yeah, awesome. It it does. It really does answer my question and I love it. And I think it all starts with you, first of all, right? I believe very often in couples we just start consciously or subconsciously blaming our partner. Okay, you don't turn me on enough, right? But very often mm-hmm. not being turned on is coming from your internal world. If we go like yeah, creating this separation masculine feminine, it starts with you, what you're doing about that. And it as well also in lots of time is just because we are stressed or we don't have um a good sense of self-worth about ourselves, right? Then automatically we go into turn off and we start very often blaming our partners or see them like, okay, something is wrong, why I don't feel turned on towards you. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of blame gets placed on the the partner in the relationship, right? Because um, because we and and I find this is particularly for men as well um, is that they 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 seek their arousal or they expect their arousal to come from something that's external, right? So for a lot of uh, a lot of guys, it could be that um, external stimulation coming from porn or coming from you know uh, the person who they're sleeping with, um, but they they expect their arousal to come from something external when they don't necessarily take that responsibility for their own arousal, for their own desire, for their own pleasure, and recognize that their sexual energy, their arousal, their desire is actually generated from within, right? And this goes for the partner in the relationship as well. There, there needs to be a responsibility taken for your own pleasure, you know. So, um, and so this is something I talk about a lot with regards to um, connecting with another person sexually is that it's not your job to make your partner um, have an orgasm or to help to make them climax, right? You don't necessarily make your partner experience sexual pleasure. You are there 
to experience pleasure yourself and you're there to help facilitate your partner's experience of sexual pleasure. But at the end of the day, the only responsibility that you have is for your own sexual pleasure. And and when I say that to people, they kind of think, oh, that's a bit counterintuitive or a bit selfish. And it's like, well, it's not necessarily because if you're able to take responsibility for your pleasure, you're able to then communicate that to a partner. You're able to communicate that to to your your spouse, your lover, right? And 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 hopefully they're able to do the same. And so you have this really open communication then in the bedroom in a in a sexual context of what it is that you both want from one another. And this then facilitates a conversation around boundaries, around consent, around, you know, we talk about exploration as well of sexual experiences. So how far do you want to push? What do you want to try and experience now? What brings you pleasure? How can your partner help bring that pleasure, you know, to you? But if you don't have that to start with, if you're not fully taking responsibility for what it is that you find pleasurable and you're just expecting your partner to give you that pleasure, your, your partner's not a mind reader, right? They're not going to be able to go, oh, I know that my, maybe if they've developed a keen kind of um, interest in your body and the way that you experience kind of your sexuality after a little while, maybe they can anticipate what it is that you like. But a new relationship, your partner's not going to know what it is that you like. Maybe they'll, you know, and and this is something I talk about with men all the time is, Guys think they've got, oh, I've got, I've got this trick, right? I've got these, these moves. I've got these things that I know all women will like. I know everyone that I sleep with is going to like this. And it's like, well, maybe you know, a handful or maybe a percentage of the people that you sleep with are going to really enjoy that quote-unquote move or that secret trick that you know. Um, but the, the whole idea is developing a conversation with your, with your partner about what it is that they really experience pleasure from and then, you know, letting them know how you really experience pleasure and then seeing how you can interact together and have a sexual experience together that's really fulfilling for both of you because you know the cornerstone of a of a of a strong relationship i suppose and a strong sexual relationship is mutual pleasure experiencing mutual pleasure but if you're not fully invested in your own pleasure and your partner's not fully invested in their own pleasure and then you're not able to have a conversation together about those two things then you you're setting yourself up for for um, you know, possibly, potentially, and um, not mutually satisfying sexual experience. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, hundred percent is just taking responsibility for, for what it is that you find pleasurable, and then just openly communicating that with your partner. Yeah, awesome. I I absolutely love it, and um, I can tell you from a women' perspective, most of the time we're just expecting from our partners to give us uh, pleasure. Uh, we like women a lot still they're afraid of communicating and I think it's coming a little bit from this uh, um, men like we have been conditioned not maybe now but uh, uh, some years ago that this is about men pleasure mostly right it's what have we have been told by our parents and it's about somewhere subconsciously you even think okay it's about men having the pleasure in the first place right and we are very often we are forget, forgetting about our own pleasure we don't talk about that and it ends up in being like not nice experience like we are not satisfied right and uh, we blame there is lots of resistance and blame is coming from from women's side but we are forgetting that first of all it's just explore your own sexuality and this is for me is what about is just exploring your own internal world right your sexual internal world and then bring it into the table with your partner only then it can be a nice and uh, expensive experience yeah mm-hmm. uh, what i want to uh, ask you as well is uh, there are lots of couples where they have a partner, they have different libido, right? So one needs to have uh, sexual interactions every day. One needs to have it once a week or something like that, right? So, and of course, it creates lots of uh, dissatisfaction in between partners. How you see it, how we can balance it if we have different libidos with our partner. Yeah, yeah. So this is something that comes up a lot um, is this discrepancy and differences in our, um, yeah, in, in our libido and our sex drive in, in, um, in our expectations, I suppose, of what um, you know, our sexual relationship should look like. And something that I always start off with when I'm talking to couples about this is getting into just um, 
just rate themselves on a scale of one to ten where they think they where they think their libido is, where they think their sex drive is, and very often we'll find that one um, one person in that relationship will be a bit higher, one person will be a bit lower, and so um, this can create a little bit of tension, a little bit of anxiety uh, for both both of the people in that relationship. So um, something that we start to explore then to try and bring those um, those two numbers maybe closer together or to try and make sure that both partners in that relationship are feeling fulfilled sexually, um, you know, to, to kind of bridge that orgasm gap that you were referring to a little bit uh, before is um, is we, we expand and what I like to call an erotic menu. And so what I mean by this is like um, uh, I guess broadening the definition of what a sexual interaction or a sexual experience might look like. So for, for a lot of people, for a lot of couples, um, uh, heterosexual couples, the, the definition of sex in that relationship is penetration, right? Is penetrative penile vaginal intercourse. Yeah. And, and then when we, when we do this exercise of like scaling them on one to 10, um, usually that's the, that's what they'll have in their mind of like, okay, I want penetrative intercourse, uh, you know, once a day, whereas my partner wants it once a week, right? Mm-hmm. What we then what we then do is like, okay, well, does sex necessarily have to involve penetration? You know, can can sex be, um, you know, can it, can it include oral sex? Does is that does that count? Does it, uh, can we can we include you know um, digital sex? So um, you know that would be fingering. Um, or can it be, uh, um, you know, just manual stimulation? Can it be a hand job? Can it be, um, can it be a, a sexy central massage? You know, can it be, uh, can it be a whole a whole host of other activities? You know, other other interactions, ways of sexually expressing yourself and connecting with another person. So this is like the way that we then start to um, bridge that gap. Is like, okay, well. Um, you know, maybe you're only having penetrative sex a couple of times a week, um, but maybe you're you're able to have a massage, you know, as well. Um, maybe you're able to have like a really heavy petting session um, with your partner. So it's finding a way to to make sure that the partner who's maybe not necessarily feeling like they're up for penetrative sex, but still wants to necessarily connect with their partner sexually, sensually, um, and making sure that the other partner as well is feeling like they're having their sexual needs met. Uh, but in a way that's also respecting the other partner's boundaries and um, yeah, and creating that erotic menu. So you've got a whole host of things to choose from now rather than just penetration, right? There's a whole host of other kind of activities and experiences that you can have with your partner um, that make you both feel like you're getting your sexual needs satisfied and met. Um, And again, that comes from, I guess, knowing yourself, right? Knowing your own boundaries, knowing your limitations, you know, actually having a conversation about what you what you experience in sex or what you expect sex to be, you know, broadening your definition, um, broadening your your um, capacity for sexual um, experiences as well, I suppose. So, um, yeah, that's um that's kind of one way, I suppose, of um of of bridging that gap between that discrepancies and libidos is creating that erotic menu to start choosing from. Mm. And just talk about communicate clearly between you and your partner, right? What you, what is it for you? How you expect it to be? Just to communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just having that open line of communication is so important. Yeah, but um, if we go uh, back to. Uh, redefining relationships and we touched a little bit this uh, communication is very important i love that what you talked about like three important elements that make a relationship a thriving experience so what do you believe are can you repeat them here Uh, what are these three elements that you believe are necessary for thriving experience with a partner yeah, so this, um, I think I've spoken about this before with regards to like um, this model of uh, this model of love or this model of a like a relationship, and um, this comes from like Robert Sternberg's uh, triangular model of love, and this is three things that are really important: is commitment, is intimacy, and is passion. 
And um, so what happens when we have two people that are, uh, that are really committed but not necessarily intimate or passionate is like we have a business relationship, right? You've got two people that are committed to, um, committed to a career and, and, and you know, there's no sexual chemistry or intimacy or emotional connection there at all. Uh, but you've got two people that are really passionate but not necessarily committed or intimate. I'm thinking maybe like a really hot and steamy one night stand or a, a summer fling or something like that, right? Um, but it's not necessarily a viable for a long-term relationship. And then I think you've got you know this intimacy, but there's no commitment and there's no passion. Uh, I kind of think about uh, maybe two two friends that you know are you know, really 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 emotionally connected that maybe only meet up once a, once in a blue moon, right? But they have this really deep emotional connection. But there's no chemistry there with regards to sexuality. There's no kind of long-term commitment there either. So um, so what we want to do is just find this balance, right, of these three things. And these three things interact and influence one another um, for sure. Uh, and and you know, what we find in those long-term relationships to kind of go back to um, the start of this conversation is that when intimacy and commitment are really you know, strongly emphasized, that passion part of the, um, the relationship seems to um, be not necessarily um, – you know, not necessarily squash, but it kind of is a little bit forgotten about um, because the commitment and intimacy is there. Um, that goes back into the way that we were talking about with regards to emotionally connecting to someone um, and kind of losing our desire for them. So um, this is like the three elements of a relationship that are really important to start, um, really start cultivating, you know, and start really working on. It's like, okay, well, what can I do to build my commitment with my, my partner, with my intimate spouse or, or lover or whoever it is? What can I do to build that intimacy with them? And what can I do to build that, that passion with them? And maybe taking stock of being like, okay, we've got really good intimacy and passion, but maybe I could be a bit more committed. I could show a bit more of that commitment. We've spoken about ways that we can do that already. Um, and then, um, anyway, again, this is a really good conversation starter as well. So you could say, um, you could say, sit down with a partner, sit down with that person and say, okay, look, here's this model. Let's maybe take stock of how we're going. How do you think we're going as a, as a couple? How do you think we're going um, in this relationship? Where do you think we might need to work on as well? So it's a really good conversation platform as well. Um, is that triangular theory of love? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, no worries. Yeah. Just to, to see it, really to see it and just to talk about, which we ignore, like I believe, half of the problems will be solved if we can just sit and have an open conversation with each other. But we are, most of the time, we just mind read, we assume, and we don't go deep into discussing this kind of thing. And it's where lots of, lots of problems start in the relationship. And if talking about the needs, I, um, yeah, first of all, I believe like relationship is this space um, where you're coming and you create for each other a safe space to be open, to be vulnerable and just to maybe as well heal and uh, work on some parts of you that needs to be healed. And at the same time, relationships are not uh, for satisfying all your needs, right? You can't come into the relationship from this place of complete me, and from the place of lack. So how do you see it? How we can balance this uh, creating um, like this uh, balance and harmony between having a safe space and not coming from lack, not coming from, okay, satisfy all my needs in the relationship. Doesn't sound clear? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know exactly what you're talking about. So there's this like, there's this idea floating around and it's kind of perpetuated by movies and TV shows that, um, that our partner is like, and you, you know, you hear it all the time. People say, Oh, you complete me, right? This idea that like your partner is the person that fulfills all these things that you can't fulfill yourself. Right. And that you are, and it almost breeds this idea that you're dependent upon your partner for that completion. Right. So the, the the kind of if we dig a little bit deeper into that sentiment, you know, this idea of you complete me or you being my my other half is implying that you're not you're not whole, right? And that you're not completed as a full person yourself, and that you're dependent upon your partner to meet the needs that you can't satisfy. And um and so 
over you know over a longer period of time, this can start to play out as as if your partner doesn't start to meet those needs or it doesn't meet them to the expectations that you have, then you you build resentment, right? You build this frustration with your partner because and they're only human. They're, they're never going to meet all your needs. Not one person is going to be able to meet all every single one of your needs, right? This is like this false equivalency or false expectation that we have of, of like one person being this, um, being our lover, being our best friend, being our confidant, being our um, being our coach, being our therapist, right? Wearing all these different hats for us when we would never expect any other person in our life to be like that, nor would we even consider that to be a reasonable expectation of another person. So, um, so something that I really try and emphasize specifically when um, you know, we're talking about, you know, strengthening a monogamous relationship is like, you know, you need to have other people in your life that you can get your needs met from, you know, or, or find a way to meet those needs yourself that's kind of the first step is figuring out okay what needs can you meet yourself without relying on your partner for them but then going out and 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 seeing okay and and being really kind of it can be this can be quite confronting right is because it's challenging this notion that your partner is this one person your soulmate who's you know who completes everything that you that you aren't um and so you know if you need um if you need emotional support from someone and your partner might not necessarily be able to to give that to you or doesn't have the capacity for it, you need to go out of that relationship and find someone who, you know, can emotionally support you in the way that you need to be emotionally supported, whether that's through a counselor or through a friend or through someone else. Um, but that's something you need. And if your partner isn't able to get you that and you're not able to do it yourself, that's something you need in your life. You need to go on and, and do that. And, and, you know, where this conversation gets really, confronting and really challenging for a lot of people is um with regards to sexuality you know because we're we're so conditioned to thinking that and believing that a monogamous relationship is is sexually monogamous as well right but if your partner doesn't have the capacity to and you know i'm not saying go out and cheat uh, but if you're in a open you know communicative relationship with your partner and um you're not having your sexual needs met in a specific way and you know you're your partner is open with you, you know, helping you get your needs met, then you know, there's avenues there to um, find sexual satisfaction outside of that committed monogamous relationship. So, you know, there's a lot of levels to this kind of um, to this line of thinking. But the idea is that I guess the idea is just challenging this notion that your your partner is this, you know, yin to your yang, right? It's, Actually, you would never expect that of another person. You know, you, it'd be very unrealistic to expect that of another person. So, um, this is why we have friends. This is why we have family members. This is why we have people that we can talk to that aren't our partner, right? Our partner isn't our therapist, our coach, our love, all this other stuff. So, um, and there's a lot to that. And this is just kind of very brief summation of it. But um, yeah, it's a very confronting idea for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I believe we have this. Uh conditioned way of looking at, at that right we we want we bring all our needs into the relationship and we ask okay satisfy these needs and if they don't we mm. think maybe it's not the one maybe it's not my soulmate and i want to go into this all this uh, soulmate business i think a lot of people have this uh, fairy tale idea who is really a soulmate and um, for me it's a kind of you're choosing somebody, right? There are lots of people out there whom you can be physically attracted towards, but at the end, you're just choosing somebody you want to be with, you want to live with. And soulmate is somebody who helps you to grow. If we look at the relationship with this place where you want as well to grow in the world, he will help you and he will trigger you a lot, actually, right? And uh, in many cases, we just want to, to run away from this person because we think, oh, I'm triggered. I want to run away. I don't want to be in this space. So how, how do you... Oh, do you want to repeat that, Anna? I just lost you there yeah. for a second. Yeah, uh, soulmate. Who is... Uh, how do you view all this soulmate business? Uh, who is soulmate for you in the relationship? Mm, yeah, there's um, it's an interesting question. So I I think there's 
um, like this idea of soulmates and they're only being one person for you. I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in this idea that there are, um, that you, there are many soulmates, right? That you have many, many soulmates, right? But, but you choose to be with one of those soulmates, right? And you choose to grow with that other person and they're a mirror for you, right? And they reflect your own, um, the, the things that you need to work on yourself and, and you are for that person as well. Um, and, and something that some friends of mine talk about a lot is this idea that there are, there are three relationships in any one relationship, right? There's, um, there's your relationship with, uh, with yourself and your partner's relationship with themselves. And then there's your relationship together. And the way that you interact with yourself influences that overarching, that over, overall relationship. So, um, and, and I guess the way this, the, relates to, to soulmates is you know, that relationship is uh, it, it can be constructed from from any two people so you and another person are going to have a different you know overarching relationship depending on how much work they've done on themselves and continue to do right and the way that you interact with that person so um, so yeah this I guess this idea of soulmates and twin flames comes from um, again that, that notion that we spoke about just before, which is this idea that there's this one person who can meet all of our needs and all of our expectations. So, um, but I, I believe there's many people and, and there's a soulmate for a particular, maybe for a particular point in your life and for, for the journey that you need to go on with that person. Right. And then maybe that journey comes to an end. You know, this old notion of, um, of Christian marriage, which is from death to us part you know, is you know, that I guess a, a reframe of that or a way of looking at that is maybe maybe not until physical death does its part, but until maybe the the esoteric or the energetic uh, death of that that relationship, right, of that soul mated relationship, and then you know, the, and then it births a new area, a new era of your life, or a new phase of your life, or a new phase of your journey, and maybe there's another person in that um, um, out there, another soulmate for you for that you know, for that point of your life for the person who you are in that point of your journey, you know, um, and, and maybe there's another soulmate for, for the person who, for the partner you just had, right. And they have another soulmate who will help them on the next part of their journey and who will challenge them and they'll challenge their other person. So I think, um, yeah, I think we get, we get stuck in this romanticized notion that there's this one person who we, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with this. If, if that's, you know, if that's what, if that's what it is and if that's what is healthy and, and happy and constructive and, um, and beautiful for you, then, you know, and, and I, like I'm in a monogamous committed relationship at the moment and, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning that to go for, for, for my whole life. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm looking for, um, you know, for another person. I'm not saying that's what necessarily what you need to do, but just being open to this idea that, you know, that relationship might not last your whole entire life and, and that there's nothing inherently wrong with that. You know, there's, you haven't failed. You haven't, um, you, you haven't, um, I don't know, you, you haven't broke, you're not broken because of that. There's, 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 there's people out there that, um, that need another person in life, maybe later on in another part of their journey. And, um, yeah, I think, so I, I just think that that Hollywood notion or that Hollywood idea of like, love at first sight and staying together for a long period of time. I, I, I just sometimes think that does more harm than good. Um, and this notion of soulmates and twin flames can, can be detrimental um, when not deconstructed and not explored a bit more with your partner. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's about uh, we expect in this romanticized picture to be the reality, but then it's not. And we are disappointed in the whole world of relationships as well. And for me, mm. like, first of all, as I mentioned, like soulmate is somebody who helps you to grow. And if you use a relationship as this platform for growing, for exploring, and uh, then it's at one point it might enter an end because you just haven't grown maybe each other or you need to go into a new adventure with somebody and it, it's absolutely fine. And then I believe it all comes down as well to being complete and to be to have a like this sense of self-love towards yourself, to, to know yourself at a deeper level. And it, it helps you just to really know what you want and just to transition from this relationship, not with uh, this, oh, I'm destroyed, but okay, this is the end for that. 
Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. Thanks. Um, and I want to talk a bit as well about the desires. I think going outside maybe from the relationships area, I think there are lots of unhealthy dynamics between men and women in terms of expressing the desires. Because I can tell from my women's side, sometimes I feel this big aggression towards me in how the men are expressing their desires. And uh, that's why, like, women, they tend to react not maybe in a conscious way, which hurt men and they feel rejected. So what I love your perspective on the desire that you mentioned in one on the podcast. Uh, can you tell us about the whole notion of the desire and how we can express it in a healthy way? Mm, yeah, so there's um, there's, like, a lot of a lot of uh, conditioning uh, around male expression of sexuality and um, that conditioning is um, for the most part is, um, is that male, uh, male sexuality is um, inherently aggressive or is inherently, um, uh, I guess um, I don't, I don't use necessarily the word violent, but it's like, it's like brutal and is kind of brutish. Um, and this is like, this is drummed into us from kind of all angles as well, right? It's, you know, it's in our music, you know, you know, I spoke about this today on, um, on my social media, but like, you know, this, uh, idea that men have to express themselves in a hypersexual way towards women. So they've got to kind of be like sexually aggressive or sexually, you know, overly assertive, um, because that's the way that they prove themselves as men. Uh, you know, there's, um, there's just, just kind of this like, running story that that men and then by you know by virtue of that women as well having this idea that uh, men are going to be sexually aggressive towards me or they you know they are almost expected of of guys um and so something that i that i and this is like the bane of my whole work is like trying to help guys um develop new ways and new models for expressing their sexuality as men right their masculine desires their masculine sexuality what does it mean to be masculine, what does it mean to express masculinity and what does it mean to be sexual and express sexuality and how do we kind of consolidate those two things? Um, so it's, a lot of it is like challenging this notion that you, you know, that you have to be, um, that you have to be like hypersexual, that you always have to be ready for sex, that you always need to be turned on, that, that you can just be turned on at like the flick of a switch. So a lot of it is like breaking down those stories for men straight away. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, if you are feeling sexually aroused by another person, if you are feeling sexually attracted to them, what are some ways to then start to healthily communicate that and, and to and to express it and 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 kind of to to go on the theme of this conversation? The, the first thing I teach them to do is like is to connect with it in their body, right? So for a lot of people that haven't done this work or haven't maybe explored it, they'll feel that sexual um, that that sexual desire, that sexual arousal. I'll feel it very localized generally in the genitals, right? And this is like, this is where um, I can talk about sexual energy and, and they feel that sexual energy just build up and then it'll build up and stay localized and stay contained just in the genitals. And, and, uh, and when there's a lot of sexual energy around this area, then it gets, you know, it gets directed by that area. So it gets directed by the genitals. So it becomes quite um, uh, like lusty and, um, quite um you know, sex oriented um rather than maybe if we have done the work and we are able to feel into that energy can we start to move it up through the body can we feel a little bit of that sexual energy maybe through the heart maybe through the chest you know, and and are you able to express that and own it and not be ashamed of it and not kind of be um not express it in a um i don't know maybe a perverse way but are you able to express it uh, and give voice to it and, and own it and articulate that you're feeling that um, and and let someone know through through words rather than maybe through um, we can talk about action and, and maybe the way that's been uh, portrayed in um, in kind of media at the moment there, there's a lot of guys that um, you know have been um, have been done for um, you know, is some type of sexual abuse or sexual assault because of the, the fact that they've let that action, um, kind of been um, kind of drive their sexual expression in an unhealthy way. 
So maybe there's uh, maybe there's something to be said for maybe expressing it through, through words, through um, and through uh, through the voice, uh, and, and maybe feeling into it a bit more rather than just like allowing the the sexual energy that's localized around the genitals to control that action. So this is like the first thing that I teach guys is like can you can you own that sexuality, not be ashamed of it, not be not not try and hide it, not try and repress it, try and pretend that it's something else. Like if you're attracted to another person, how do you let that person know? How do you how do you tell them that? How do you how do you express that to them? Um, and then there's some education there around boundaries and and you know if they're if another person puts those boundaries up and and rejects your your advances and rejects your sexual attraction to them. Is there that security in yourself to know that that doesn't mean that you're an ugly, horrible, um, unlovable, unsexual person? You know, it's just because that other person wasn't maybe wasn't ready to receive that or didn't want to receive it, and you know might never re- receive that from you. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with you. So that's another kind of layer to this as well. Is like once you start owning your sexuality, and maybe you start expressing it out into the world if someone puts up a, a boundary and says i'm not open to receiving your sexual expression uh can you be okay with that you know what what brings that what, what, you know what's brought up for you and can you work with that and how do you work with it um so this is another step to it as well um so there's yeah there's there's and then i'll we, we kind of keep going from there as well but um those are kind of the first foundational things is like Firstly, owning your sexuality, owning your pleasure, owning what it is that you find sexual, and then being able to express that, communicate that in a healthy way, and then being okay with that not being received by other people. Mm. Yeah, because most of the time we just take it so uh, personal and we start creating stories about ourselves. If somebody's told me no, then it's just about me. <laughs> it's something wrong with me, yeah. And mm, mm. take something just to distance ourselves, I think, from this story and just to say, yeah, okay, it's just maybe the other is not ready to receive or or whatever it is, which is happening maybe in his world. But I think it's like uh, we women, <laughs> we contribute as well. Instead of just sometimes saying something in a nice way, we can become... Uh, Uh, more aggressive and I think it's happening from maybe conditioning and from some traumas that we have experienced in the past and it brings us nowhere if we go into this aggressive way of uh, yeah rejecting men so it it doesn't create something else yeah yeah it's definitely a two-way street yeah yeah wonderful so uh I can talk a lot, but <laughs> I think it was great hearing all uh, your perspective and all things of sexuality and relationships. And uh, one last question for you. What recently you have uh, learned um, or what you wish maybe that women would, uh, one thing women would know better about men so that it will simplify our interactions? Oh, what a huge question. All right, I'll be I'll try and be as concise as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh the the one thing that I would try and um hope to share with women about men is that um okay, so just because a guy doesn't have an erection doesn't mean he's not sexually turned on and vice versa. Just because he has got an erection doesn't necessarily mean he's sexually ready to experience uh, an interaction with another person. So, and yeah, don't judge, don't judge a man's sexuality by his erection. That's, you know, yes, they're correlated, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room and there's a lot of scope. So that'll be the first thing. And, and, and the only thing right now that I would try and share. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No, no worries. Um, and can you please tell as well where people can uh, find you if they want to connect with you, if they want to work with you? Yeah, of course. My um, All my content, I suppose everything that I share is through Instagram, which is uh, my handle is at camfraser400. And then if you'd like to know more about like the work that I do, you mentioned the program that I've got for men. 
uh, that's on my website, which is www.karmawellnessperth. That's K-A-M-A, wellnessperth.com. Uh, yeah, and those are my two main sources. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful to have you here. Wonderful talking to you, and I really appreciate your time. No, thank you so much, Anna. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you as well. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was it for today. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe for this podcast or share it with someone you believe can benefit from it. My mission is to remind you about the light and greatness you have been born with and help you reconnect with your own sense of self-worth, self-love, delight and pleasure. If you have a moment, I would be so grateful if you could leave a review on your favorite podcast app.